0: Amen. Thank you. Thank you team. Good morning church. I like that. Hey a couple announcements before we get into the message today. Um, It's always exciting. Uh, Welcome to our online community and welcome. Uh, We do have some visitors this morning and thank you for visiting Creekside today. You're always welcome here. We're glad that you made a decision to chose to worship with us this morning and uh, we uh, we welcome you and we ask you to come back. Uh, and be part of this fellowship uh, if you can, if you're traveling through, or if you're looking for a home church, we'd love to have you be part of our fellowship. Speaking of fellowship, I want to announce this week, I had a conversation uh, with Rick, Rick Benson back there, and Rick's been coming for a while. He was actually watching online all through COVID, and he says, you know what? I want Creekside to be my family. I want to formally be part of this fellowship. So Rick, wave your hand. Everybody say hi, Rick. Hi, Rick. That's awesome. And for a lot of you, too, that are still kind of new here, some of you have come to us, and we love that, I'll be doing a new members class in October just to give you a summary, an overview of what Creekside is about on all our different levels. So today we're talking about being called and being commanded. Last week, we made a proclamation. We made a declaration after said we have a choice. We were in the Joshua text where Joshua challenges the Israelites. The Israelites had strayed from God as a nation, and that's kind of familiar to us today, and he said, hey, you have a choice. You can serve the Lord or not. But as for me, Joshua said, in my house, we will serve the Lord. This is kind of a natural follow-up. It's just what's next in our passages that we're going through. So if you make that declaration, if you make the choice to serve God, you might naturally ask, well, what's next? How do I serve God? What does that look like? What is God calling me to? And what is he asking? What is he commanding of us? So we're gonna look at that because it's kind of in the same thing that our nation mirrors the nation of Israel many times through the Old Testament, how many times they got away from God. But we can still, there's good news, we can still recover By submitting to God's commands and God's call upon our life. We're going to be scripture heavy. I love being scripture heavy. We're going to look at a lot of scriptures today. So look at your overhead, pull out your Bibles. Uh, We're going to go through three main texts. I'm going to give a side text to look at the people of Israel, what God was doing with them, and then get some instructions and some life application. Our first passage is in Deuteronomy chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then 6 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord says, now Israel, hear the decrees and laws I'm about to teach you. Follow them so that you may live and may go in and take possession of the land the Lord, the God of your ancestors is giving you. Do not add to what I command you and do not subtract, subtract from it, but keep the commands of the Lord your God that I give you. So the scene is Moses is telling uh, the Israelite people that you have to follow the commands. You don't need to add to, which we see in Jesus' day. By the time Jesus hits the scene, remember the Pharisees had added to all the Mosaic law. He says, just follow the Lord. Follow his commands. Verses 6 through 9. Observe them carefully, for this will show your wisdom and understanding to the nations, who will hear about all these decrees and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. What other nation is so great as to have their gods near them in the way the Lord our God is near us whenever we pray to him? Let me stop right there. Wouldn't that be nice to be known of the nations of us today? Uh, You know, there's a story that Hannibal, if you know your history, Hannibal took over everything. And some say it's true, some say it's not, but it's worthy of telling again that on his march to control everything, he was about to go through Israel and Jerusalem and he actually made the decision not to because he said, their God is a mighty God. Wouldn't that be great for a nation to be known that our God is so close to us that we're in such a relationship that no other nations, actually they healthily respect and fear us Because of the power of God behind us. Verse 8. What other nation is so great as to have a righteous decrees and laws as this body of laws? I am setting before you today. Only be careful and watch yourselves closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Teach them to your children and their children after them. We'll come back to that, but remember that verse. Next is Isaiah 1 through 20. Hear me, you heavens, listen to earth, for the Lord has spoken. I reared children and brought them up, but they have rebelled against me. You know, God sees us as children. And when we don't obey him, he sees us as rebellious children. The ox knows its master, the donkey its own manager, but Israel, a manger, the Israel does not know, my people do not understand. Woe to the sinful nation, a people whose guilt is great, "'A brood of evildoers, children given to corruption. "'They have forsaken the Lord. "'They have spurned the Holy One of Israel "'and turned their backs on Him. "'Why should you be beaten anymore? "'Why do you persist in rebellion? "'Your whole head is injured and your whole heart afflicted. "'From the sole of your foot to the top of your head, "'there's no soundness, only wounds and welts and open sores, "'not cleansed or bandaged or soothed with olive oil. "'Your country is desolate.'" Your tribes burned with fire. Your fields are being stripped by foreigners right before you. Laid waste when overthrown by strangers. Daughter Zion is left like a shelter in a vineyard, but a, not like a, shelter in a, like a shelter in a vineyard, like a hut in a cucumber field, like a city under siege. Unless the Lord Almighty has left us some survivors, we would have become like Sodom. We would have become like Gomorrah. Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Listen to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. The multitude of your sacrifices, what are they to me, says the Lord? I have more than enough of burnt offerings, of rams and the fat of fattened animals. I have no pleasure in the blood of bulls and lambs and goats. When you come to appear before me, who has asked this of you? Your trampling of my court's. Stop bringing meaningless offerings. It's pretty dramatic there. Your incense is detestable to me. New moon, Sabbath, and convocations. I cannot bear your worthless assemblies. Your new moon feast and your appointed festivals, I hate with all my being. They have become a burden to me. This is God talking, y'all. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands in prayer, I hide my eyes from you. Even when you offer many prayers, I am not listening. Your hands are full of blood. Wash and make yourselves clean. Take your evil deeds out of my sight. Stop doing wrong. Learn to do right. Seek justice. Defend the oppressed. Take up the cause of the fatherlessness. fatherless. Plead the case of the widow. Come now, let us settle the matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, They shall be white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the good things of the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord has spoken. God's pretty strong with that. And I think it shows us that we're not the first nation to put God on the back burner. We're not the first nation to let idolatry seek into our national content, into our society, into our culture. But those last 10 verses, I want to give you, I want to show you, the message translation by Peterson is a more modern-day translation, and I think it really pulls it into what we're seeing today in modern-day language. Look at how it's written in the message. Verse 10, listen to my message, you Sodom school leaders. Receive God's revelation, you Gomorrah school people. Why this frenzy of sacrifice? God's asking, don't you think I've had my feel of burnt sacrifices, rams, and plump grain-fed calves? Don't you think I've had my feel of blood from bulls, lambs, and goats? When you come before me, whoever gave you the idea of acting like this, running around here and there, doing this and that, all this sheer commotion in the place provided for worship? They weren't worshiping from the heart. It's what God is saying. Quit your worship charades. Wow. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbaths, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meeting for this, meeting for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of religion, religion, religion while you go on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. That ought to shake us to the core. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. And Do you know why? Because you've been tearing people to pieces and your hands are bloody. God says we can't act like the world Monday through Saturday and come in here on Sunday and pray and raise hands and be all right with him. That's a strong strong statement. Verse 16, go home and wash up, clean up your act, sweep your lives, clean of your evil doings so I don't have to look at them any longer. Say no to wrong, learn to do good, work for justice, help the down and out stand up for the homeless, go to bat for the defenseless, let's argue this out, come sit down. Don't you love that God chastises us and then he says, but hey, come talk with me. He's the God that wants us not to do wrong. He's the father that says, let's make this right between us so you don't go on sinning and I don't have to turn away. This is God's message. If your sins are blood red, they'll be snow white. If they're red like crimson, they'll be like wool. If you're willing, if you'll willingly obey, you'll feel, you'll feast, sorry, like kings. But if you're willful and stubborn, you'll die like dogs. That's right. God says so. Those who walk out on God. So a nation of God's people sometimes reflects what we're going through today. When a nation makes killing babies legal, when a nation forsakes the downtrodden, when a nation, Christian people fail to do good, God says, "I, I can't look at this anymore. This is not what you're called to, and this is definitely not what I've commanded so we have to find out what is he calling us to and what is he commanded. And I'll, I'll re-say what I've said many, many times. The reason I'm so heavy and so encourage you to get into the word of God because I believe the time is gonna come where many will try to abuse, uh, confuse, distort the word of God and the true followers of Jesus are gonna have to know what the word of God says Amen. for everything that's going on around them. And we have to be steeped in the Word, and we have to be in the Word. Our New Testament passage, let's look at the Jesus passage here, to say the least. Mark 7, verses 1 through 8. The Pharisees and some of the teachers of the law who had come from Jerusalem gathered around Jesus, and they saw some of his disciples eating food with hands that were defiled, that is, unwashed. The Pharisees and all the Jews do not eat unless they give their hands a ceremonial washing holding to the tradition of the elders. of, so it's kind of in our time and not in our time. When they mean ceremonial washing, they mean that before the meal. Have you ever seen those TV shows when a doctor scrubs up for a long time? That's what they were doing, but the Pharisees were doing it so that they could say, oh, my hands are cleaner than yours. It was a position thing. And the disciples, they were hungry and they were eating. And have you ever known Christians that just look to pick on other Christians? We still have some of those today. When they came from the marketplace, they do not enter unless they wash. They observed many other traditions, such as the washing of cups, pitchers, and kettles. So the Pharisees and the teachers of the law asked Jesus, Why don't your disciples live according to the tradition of the elders instead of eating their food with defiled hands, unwashed hands? He replied, passage person we read from Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you hypocrites imagine calling church leader hypocrites Jesus did as it is written these people honor me with their lips watch this but their hearts are far from me They went through all the religious activities to be seen and known and look good in front of men, but Jesus says, you're washing of the hands and you're washing of your cups and keeping all these laws that I didn't even make in the first place isn't going to get you any closer in God because your heart is not in the right place. He's going to expand on that. Verse 7, they worship me in vain. Their teachings are merely human rules. You have let go of what? the commands of God and holding on to human traditions. Just think about some of you, we've got all different tribes and flavors and spiritual heritages here. Think about now some of the stuff your church may have enforced that just wasn't scriptural. Ladies, that you always had to wear a dress. You're going to hell if you didn't wear a dress to church. Aren't y'all glad that rules no more? I mean, show me that in scripture not there man that you have to wear a coat and tie it's nice not saying it's not we have people occasionally do that nothing wrong with it but to say that well if you don't wear this you can't serve communion you can't come on it's human traditions it's man-made laws we're to follow the commands of God look at verse 14 and 15 Jesus really gets into the nitty-gritty again again Jesus called the crowd to him and said listen to me everyone imagine this Jesus is saying hey Listen, gather up. I've got something to say. Listen, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Get that concept. Nothing outside you can defile you by going in. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Look at verse 21. For it is from within, out of a person's where? Heart that evil thoughts come, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. It's out of our hearts, church. I heard somebody say this, and it convicted me, and it may convict you. Have you ever said anything to anybody in the heat of passion or an argument? And after you said it, you say, I really didn't mean that. Can I tell you the truth? You really did. Because it came out of your heart. And if it's in your heart, it defiles you. That's how serious Jesus is about what goes into our hearts It's not all the external, it's all the internal. What we say, what we look at with our heart through our eyes, how we interact with each other and love one another with our hearts, that's what defiles you or uplifts you. It's what Jesus says, not what Mark says. This is what Jesus says. Nothing outside can defile you. You want to come to my table and eat and not wash your hands? I'd prefer you do, but I'm not going to commit you to hell for that. But if you speak anger to me out of your heart, then you need to make it right with Jesus because it comes from your heart. It's not the external, it's the internal. So let's look at some life applications. Number one from our passages Number one, we must sow obedience into the next generation. Must sow, look at the scripture. Only be careful and watch yourself closely so that you do not forget the things your eyes have seen or let them fade from your heart as long as you live. Now he's talking to Israelites who'd been delivered and seen. But look at the last part, church. Look at the last part, parents, grandparents. Teach them to your children and to their children after them. That's your grandkids, y'all two generations. It's even more than that. Watch this. I found this this week researching. There is something called the four-generation fade, and you should be scared when you see this. Look at this. Number one, if parents don't make faith a high priority for their kids, then kids grow up and make it less priority for their kids. Third, Those kids grow up and then make it no priority for their kids. In the last generation, those kids will grow up. Next slide. Those kids will grow up and have no concept of God. I think we're headed there. Amen? If we're not teaching sowing into the next generation. Some of you are products of that in the good way on the first generations. Some are here by faith because your mom and dad had faith or their grandparents had faith. Many of you are sowing faith into your children. Many of you are sowing faith into your grandchildren. But we as a nation are at an all-time high of biblical illiteracy and being part of a faith community. For, For the first time, it's dropped the lowest it's ever been in the history of Christianity. And if we don't turn the tide, if we don't come back to God, if we don't do his commands, then that next generation is not going to care about God at all. Remember there was a time in the Old Testament they forgot the law and they finally found it and they had to reread it and they heard it and they rejoiced. And I said it last week I'll say it again I think the time is coming when preachers preaching and you speaking scripture it may become hate speech or they say you can't say you can't say Jesus is the only way to heaven you can't say he can forgive your sins Because you offend another group. Well, I'll tell you what. Jesus doesn't care about offending people. He was a stone and stumbling block, the Bible says, to everyone he met because he spoke the truth. He was the truth. And we still need to lift him up as our stone and stumbling block. I'm not going to come off of the truth of the Bible because the government says, I I guess the church will have to go underground like it is in China. I pray that that day, I pray for my children and your children and our children's children that that day is far off. But the way I see things unraveling, I'm not so sure. I'm going to trust God. I'm an optimist. Number two, or let me say this: our faith priorities impact generations tomorrow. How many of y'all just nod with your hearts? How many of y'all get in that rut where you think your faith life isn't impacting anybody? That's a lie from hell and the devil. It is. The way you live out your faith in front of your family, your workplace, your community, people notice. And you know who notice the most? people who don't believe. Think about that. You are influencing and impacting somebody if you'll live your faith out in front of them. Number two, God sees through our pretend acts of worship. From the message, quit your worship charades. I can't stand your trivial religious games, monthly conferences, weekly Sabbath, special meetings, 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 meetings. I can't stand one more. Meetings for this, meetings for that. I hate them. You've worn me out. I'm sick of your religion, 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 while you go right on sinning. When you put on your next prayer performance, I'll be looking the other way. No matter how long or loud or often you pray, I'll not be listening. I confess, when I first got into ministry, I kind of got addicted to going to conferences. Thought that was where it's at. Can I tell you... Not, conferences can be great, but if conferences become your religion, you've turned them into idolatry. Anything else that takes away your one vertical relationship with God that's not God becomes your idol. And I think the church universally as a whole has put a lot more emphasis, you know, I'm amazed that my Facebook feed is full of like, here's the great next church growth plan and Everybody's writing books about it. How about we just follow God and how about we invite people to church and how about we invite non-believers to become believers? Let's see how that worked. It worked in Acts. But we can get so distracted and sidetracked on what the world offers us as Christianity rather than just opening the Bible and saying, Okay, God, lead on. Okay, God, renew me. Okay, God, restore me. God knows when we're faking it. You know that phrase, fake it till you make it. No, no, no. No. Keep striving for righteousness. And when you fall, ask forgiveness. He gives it. Pick yourself up. If you're going to fall, fall forward. We also, we have a thing in church planning. If you're going to fail, fail fast, but recover faster. And get back on the path to God. Number three, we must closely watch what we allow to come out of our hearts. From Mark 7, again, Jesus called the crowd to him and say, listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a person can defile them by going into them. Rather, it is what comes out of a person that defiles them. Verse 21, for it is from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Notice it actually comes out of our heart and not our mind. Think about that. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All of these evils come from inside and defile a person. What are we allowing to get in our hearts? Is it the Word of God? Is it inspirational quotes? Is it songs and hymns, as the Scripture says, to encourage each other with these things? Or is it movies with terrible language and themes or books that aren't of God? Because I do believe this, if if you're in IT or computer, there's a phrase, garbage in, garbage out. What you allow in is what will come out. And if you allow garbage, if you allow darkness inside your heart, it's going to find its way out. For out of the heart, for out of the inside of a person is what defiles that person. Once we choose to serve God, we then are called and commanded to follow Him. But we're called to follow Him and His instructions so that we can have the best life ever. He is the compassionate, loving, encouraging Father who wants us to live. Jesus said, I've come to bring you life and bring it abundant, bring it to the full. The rules, the commands, the instructions he's given us are to protect us, to encourage us, and to grow us into who he's made us to be. But the world is offering everything else. So who are you listening to? And what are you allowing in your heart? Are you called and commanded this morning? Or have you, like the nation of Israel, I'm just going to be bold. Have you been going through the motions lately? Have you just been showing up and barely singing and living during the week like you shouldn't live? We can't see it always as a church, but he can. He knows when we're faking it. He knows when we're playing church and playing our walk of faith. And we need to change because he'll get to that point where he says, look, I just can't be a part of this anymore. I'm not going to listen because you're doing the same thing and there's this great big sin in your life and you're looking like your goody goody-two-shoes Christian, but you really need to clean your own house. Are you called and commanded this morning? Are you protecting the things that come into your heart that can defile you? And are you letting goodness and righteousness and holiness come out of your heart. If you're here this morning and you need prayers, we'd love to pray with you. Prayers of restoration. Be happy to do that after service. Be happy to have any of our members do that. Or maybe you've never named his name. Maybe you need to choose this day from last week. Maybe you need to make the proclamation, the confession of faith that Jesus is Lord. He is the one and only living Son of God and make that confession and be buried with him in baptism and walk on your way to a newness of life. We can assist you with that too. But more and more, as an individual, as a corporate church, and as a community and a nation, we must guard our hearts, we must know the word, we must live called and commanded and we must keep our, ourselves and our families from straying from God like his people, the Israelites, did so many times. Let's pray together and then we'll go and share communion together. Father, your words are strong. You demand our loyalty. As Mikey said, it wasn't a small price that you paid. You gave your one and only son who not only just laid down his life, endured torture beyond all torture of the time for me, for everyone here for everyone watching, for the sake of the entire world, the highest price has been paid. So in gratitude, we should give you all of our loyalty. And Jesus, you said it yourself, your commands are not burdensome. Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And it's for our best life ever to live in harmony and community with you and to one day go into eternity with you when you decide that this fallen world has gone enough and you send that one and only son again to redeem the redeemed father help us to ignore the distractions that satan bombards us with today help us to guard our hearts with what we take in so that Bad, defiling things don't go out. Help us to enrich ourselves in the knowledge of your word, the word of God, and in righteousness and holiness and a humble walk before you. Help us to do the things you ask, to uplift the downtrodden, to look after the widow and the fatherless. Help us to see what you want us to see and to be your followers, your servants, your disciples, as you've called and commanded us to be. Help us to acknowledge you in all our ways. Love and protect us. Through Jesus we pray. Amen.